0: G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. language, references to violence, sexual abuse and murder, and may not be suitable for everyone. Discretion is advised. Previously, on Who Killed Leanne Holland.
2: She saw Leanne alive the day after she was said to have been murdered. The girl was sitting in a car parked next to hers at a shopping centre. And she described it as an, an old black and white bomb
3: car. Dyeing her hair in the bathroom and Graham Stafford was helping her and then in a sort of psychosexual rage he then kills her. They then searched the house from you know top to bottom looking for some evidence of hair dye and they found none.
0: There was no blood in the mop bucket. That was just an old bucket of water. A dirty old bucket of water with a mop sitting in it. And he says he saw her walking past
2: the hotel at 3pm. Even if Uh, Stafford had time to clean up. I've never seen, and I've been to hundreds of scenes and done thousands of court cases and 4,000 or so uh, cases all up. I've never seen anyone
3: successfully clean blood up. They need uh, something else, I think, to to bolster that case. And so they have the um, story of the maggot in the boot. Um, My my gut feeling is is that uh, it was an afterthought. It it didn't,
2: it never existed in the boot. It was something that um, was a story that was
0: concocted to support um, a case that was pretty weak. A 610 Media production. This is Who Killed Leanne Holland? Hello and welcome to Chapter 7 of Who Killed Leanne Holland, Green is the New Black. Hello, Graham. How are you doing today, mate? Morning, Jamie. Yes, I'm fine. Thanks. And you? Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying the uh, cooler weather, mate. It's, uh, it's nice. That's true.
2: Um, we've been getting plenty of feedback uh, as a result of the last chapter, Jamie, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, in this chapter, we continue to explore the problems and the discrepancies in the Crown case. Some 29 years after the fact, we have identified yet a further problem with the Crown case. This has only come to light in the past few weeks, and I wonder if there are others. We will discuss the latest find later in this chapter. But first I'd like to address some feedback we've had. Um, A listener commented that the detailed discussion of the photos detailing the injuries suffered by Leanne seemed gratuitous and just trying to shock. That was never our intention and uh, we apologise. Jamie and I agonised over how much we should say about the injuries Leanne received. What we were trying to show was that this was not an accidental death. This was personal. It was vicious, angry, intense and sadistic. To get that across, we felt we needed to go into some detail about the injuries Leanne received.
0: Yeah, exactly. And also, I was seeing those for the first time as well. So that was just my reaction to them. And you were explaining some of the case and we were discussing, you know, the, the potential to do this podcast. And yeah, so again, it wasn't our intention to, to upset anyone. That's for sure. I received
2: this email just today, gripping, if not incredibly disturbing podcast. Can you tell me if you will be covering the reason why Graham's defense was so poor? I understand that the Defence Counsel was only appointed the day before trial, but why and why not ask for extensions, etc.? Thanks. The answer to that and other queries about uh, Graham's Defence will be covered in uh, Chapter 8 How Deep Are Your Pockets? And to Marie from Switzerland, who commented that she's enjoying the podcast, thanks for listening.
0: Yeah, thanks, Marie.
2: A listener messaged me to say they now understand why the Queensland Police is fighting the release of the police review so vigorously. They believe the QPS does not want its dirty laundry aired in public, and that police investigating police does not work. The listener wants the police review made public to ensure it was honest and not protecting anyone. I couldn't agree more. Remember, when the review was first announced, it was going to be open, accountable and available to all. The Queensland Police is actually desperate to keep the review hidden. I'll let you draw your own conclusions to
0: why that is. And also just on the discussion of feedback, you remember Julie from chapter one, right? Yep. So we also read out that email we received that that person said, getting your information from Julie, whose sister was assaulted by blank, um, is hardly impartial. Now, Julie messaged me just last night, actually, and she said, I've just heard the podcast um, I have two sisters and none of them have been assaulted or molested. So I just wanted to clear that up. So there you go. Interesting. I have just received an email from a lady who used to live in Goodna, in that area anyway, and she sent me a link uh, that is basically saying that a website um, was believed to show the body of murder victim Leanne Holland and somebody had post-mortem photos Obviously, I was shocked when I read this, um, and I wanted to know more about it. What do you know about this? Uh, Jamie, there there were allegations by a number of people that
2: uh, pedophile Pete had post-mortem photos of Leanne Holland, and uh, I had planned to discuss that in depth when we talk about
0: uh, alternate suspects. Thanks, Chanel, for the email. And we mentioned in the last chapter that some of the evidence just shows that Graham Stafford didn't get a fair trial, and it's not proof that he did not kill her. That is very true, but it's also simplistic. It goes further than that. That evidence goes to the core of Graham Stafford's credibility. He consistently stated he did not kill Leanne. And the fact that the evidence does not implicate him is consistent with his claim. We are not doing this podcast to determine whether Graham Stafford received a fair trial or not. That is painfully obvious, and I doubt anyone, including the police or the DPP, would dispute he did not receive a fair trial. And the issue of a fair trial has been partially rectified by the conviction being quashed and the DPP publicly commenting that they would not be retrying Graham Stafford. I say partially rectified because Graham Stafford is currently in legal limbo. He is neither guilty nor innocent. He remains the only suspect. Technically, the DPP could, without reason, bring on a murder charge against him at any time. And I, for one, would be in favour of that. I have no doubt Graham Stafford would be found not guilty and it would clear his name once and for all. But of course, it would also cause a lot of angst along the way, and Graham Staff would be rolling the dice on the jury verdict. He has said he thought he would be found not guilty in the first trial, so I could understand his reluctance to go down that path again. And of course, if the case went that way, the Queensland police could and probably would declare they would not be reinvestigating the murder, as they stood by their original findings. It would be far more preferable if an independent authority, such as a coroner, examined all the evidence, including the very secret police report, and gave a balanced, impartial verdict with hopefully an indictment against one or more persons for murder. And of course the coroner would make an order that the death would be reinvestigated. And hopefully this podcast will help and force the Queensland government to hold a coronial inquest. We may even identify the killer, we'll be discussing in depth in a later chapter why the Queensland Government and the Queensland Police refused to hold a coronial inquest into the death of Leanne Holland. So, the continued issues with the Crown case, and the majority of them are big-ticket items, which implicated Graeme Stafford as the killer. So, the continued
2: problems with the Crown case. The first one I would like to discuss and uh, described to the listeners is the car at the scene. And a compelling and incriminating piece of the Crown case surrounded Graham Stafford's car being at the body dump site. Why would his car be there unless he was involved in this murder? But as well as his car being seen there, his tyres matching identically with tyre impressions at the body dump site were also found. And as I said previously, when I initially read that evidence, I concluded his car had been at the body dump site and therefore he was lying and therefore he was involved in the murder. And you can see how you could easily conclude that he had murdered Leanne.
0: And this is what people on Facebook and Instagram have been asking a lot about, haven't they? Just about the tyres, because it is very compelling. That's right. The, the car at the scene and the tyres is, is damning evidence in this case.
2: Graham Stafford owned a 1984 bright red four-door Gemini sedan. It had a sunroof and an O'Neill sticker across the top of the rinse screen. It had alloy wheels with different sized tyres on the front to the back. It was in excellent condition. It stood out and by all accounts it was his pride and joy. Two people came forward to police to say that they had seen a car at the body disposal dump site on the morning of Wednesday the 25th of September 1991. I might add, and I will talk about it a bit later, but they were not the only people to come forward to say they saw cars around that site that week. The incident logs is littered with reports of cars being seen at the body dump site. But these were the only two people who gave evidence. Uh, There was a man and a woman. The man recorded the time as being between 6.20am and 6.30am on the Wednesday as he was on his way to work. He described the car as a small red car like a laser or charade, a hatchback or a wagon, but not a sedan. The female put the car on the track at about 8.45am as she was on her way to Ipswich to go shopping. She described the car as a brown coloured old car with square headlights. She thought it was about a 1980 model Gemini or Sunbird. Disturbingly, She also told police that she saw an old white ambulance following the the red sedan into the bush. Ah. There are no records of that line of inquiry ever being followed up. Did Graham Stafford have an accomplice? If so, who was it? Did he have a friend who drove an old white ambulance? Was that aspect of this investigation ever explored or resolved? There's no mention of it in the police logs. So we have a man describing the vehicle as a hatchback or a wagon. Before 6.30am, we have a woman describing the car as a brown-coloured old car at about 8.45am. Somehow, despite the obvious discrepancies in both statements, with not only the description of the vehicle but the time of the sightings, both witnesses gave evidence for the Crown and it was a Crown case that both witnesses were describing seeing Graham Stafford's car at the body dump site. It beggars belief that that could be allowed to happen in a murder trial. And at the trial, after being shown a photo of Graham Stafford's car, the female changed her evidence to, yes, I remember seeing this car. I remember it because of the aerial on the roof and the sticker O'Neill on the windscreen, and I do remember now the sunroof on it. This was a major coup for the prosecution. And this, this is what the judge had to say to the jury about the witness's evidence. We've used an actor's voice, but he was warning them about Accepting her evidence.
4: Now, dealing with the latter first. I have already taken the precaution at a very early stage of warning you about the grave danger of using the identification of Mrs. Mendy, to the extent that it was prompted by showing her the photograph of the car of the accused man in this case, and I will direct you to disregard her evidence in that respect entirely because that would be too dangerous.
5: Well, first of all, she gave a completely different statement to what she told the police in the beginning, but I didn't know that at the trial.
0: That's Jane. Graham Stafford's mother.
5: Um, but at the trial, I'd already spoken to John, who'd been outside and seen the police showing her the photographs of Graham's car,
0: Just to be clear, John is one of Jean Stafford's friends. He allegedly saw men wearing suits showing the female witness a photograph. He then went and told Jean Stafford about it.
5: And when she gave her evidence, honestly, there was a... In the courtroom, after she described the cast so completely, um, as if people thought, my God, you know... There was an actual uh, physical sound because she she sounded, when she described the car, it was completely right, right to the uh, sunroof and the stickers on the car. Nobody would even think of all this from how far away she was. But anyway, it didn't mean anything except she was describing the photograph, not the car.
2: So two years after the trial, I spoke with a female witness... At that time, she stated the car she saw up the dirt track was much darker in colour than Graham Stafford's car. Her sister had a 1980 Gemini sedan and the car she saw was different to that. I also interviewed the witness who saw the car around 6.20am. His belief the vehicle was not a sedan was unchanged. From the media publicity surrounding the case, another woman contacted me and she described the car she saw that Wednesday morning And she was able to confirm the date because she she was going to an appointment as an old brownish Gemini hatchback. I showed her a photo of Graham Stafford's car and she was able to positively state that this was not the car she saw in the the bush. She explained she did not go to the police at the time as she was aware the other woman had and therefore did not consider it necessary. She placed the car there at around 9am. But as I said before, these were not the only sightings of vehicles near where the body was found, Jamie. The incident logs are littered with sightings of the vehicles in and around the area that week and in particular on the Wednesday and Thursday, but they were the only two to give evidence. But this one took my attention. A green Ford station wagon sighted coming out of the dirt track where the body was found about 6.30am on Thursday, the 26th of September 1991. No statement was taken and the matter was filed. But for that car to have been there at that time on the Thursday... If the body was already there, surely they would have seen it. And what, what were they doing there? So was Graham Stafford's car at the body dump site at 6.20am or around 9am or both times or not at all? And on the evidence of the two witnesses, they were not even describing Graham Stafford's car. And as I said earlier, when I initially read the transcript, I was satisfied that his car was at the scene. Recently, I received a text message uh, from a man who's, who told me that pedophile Pete arrived at his place one day with a red Gemini sedan that he wanted to sell. This was around the time of the murder, of course. And we'll go into that in detail when uh, we talk about pedophile Pete and his involvement in this case.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah,
2: it, it uh puts another layer to the uh, to the story so that then takes us to the impressions or the tire impressions found at the scene that matched identically with Graham Stafford's tires and that was very very problematic for Graham Stafford at trial this was another flagship piece of evidence in the case against him and uh, the judge was obviously very impressed with this portion of evidence as he mentioned it on some 18 occasions during his summing up.
4: There were a set of tracks there that were a combination of the tyres that were identical with this car. You might say, well, at least that is a fact I can rely on beyond reasonable doubt. That you are entitled to take into account that you are satisfied beyond reasonable doubt that there were at least tracks at the scene which were identical with the tracks of this car at the combination of those two tyres. You are entitled to take that fact into account with all the other facts that you are satisfied beyond reasonable doubt, such as the blood in the boot of the car and the maggot in the boot of the car. But things were not as they seemed.
2: When I first viewed the tyre exhibits at the Brisbane Supreme Court Registry in 1992, I was disturbed and amazed to note that the impressions did not appear to be identical to the tyres on Graham Stefford's car. However, I was not an expert I reviewed the Crown evidence and read that the evidence in relation to tyres was given by a scientific police officer. No evidence was given of his experience in the tyre field. In fact, no evidence was given at all of his experience with tread patterns. I approached the Queensland manager of Bridgestone Tyres, a manufacturer of both tyres that were on Graham Stafford's car. And to my surprise, he had been interviewed by police but not called to give evidence at the trial. Instead, the Crown had called a young tyre fitter from a local tyre store. The Bridgestone manager attended the court registry uh, with me along with a Bridgestone colleague. Between them, they had some 70 years' tyre experience. They examined the photographs and overlays of the tyre impressions found at the scene. They too had concerns with the tyres being identical to the impressions found at the scene and agreed to conduct inquiries. They spent many, many hours reviewing the comparisons. They went to the body dump site. They examined the tyres on Graham Stafford's car. They fitted new tyres to Graham Stafford's car at Bridgestone expense. And they concluded one impression from the dump site was not identical or even similar to the tyres on the front axle of Graham Stafford's car. And the other impression was similar but not identical to the tyres on the rear axle of Graham Stafford's car.
0: Here is a sound clip from those Bridgestone employees from Australian Story TV show.
2: When I viewed the overlays at the court, um, I wasn't satisfied that they were identical, and so I went to the tyre manufacturer and asked their opinion of the evidence. They virtually said that the tyres were identical. Hmm. My uh, technical field services manager and myself uh, did a lot of research on the actual tread patterns. We couldn't conclude that, A, that were the exact same tyres that were on Graham Stafford's car, or could we conclude that the tread pattern was identical? Uh, Another problem with a big-ticket item. And it raises the question, of course, if Graham Stafford killed Leanne and placed her in his car boot, when did he dispose of the body, and why were their tyre patterns of his vehicle not found at the scene? And whose tyre patterns were found at the scene? how would you just, how would you explain what a what an overlay is Graham? the dirt at the body dump site was was not the type of soil that you could take a plaster cast impression with so the police had to take photographs uh, of the tire impressions and then enlarge them to scale so that they were the same same size as a as a tire they then took Rolled impressions of Graham Stafford's tyres—a bit like taking fingerprints. You put ink on the tyre and then you roll it across a blank sheet of paper. Then you then transfer that impression from the blank sheet of paper to a clear plastic, what's called a clear plastic overlay. Uh, you're then left with a photograph of the impression from the dirt, which has uh, been enlarged to scale. And you have a clear plastic overlay of the tire from Graham Stafford's car, and you can slide the over, and you can slide the overlay over the impression, and everything being equal, it will match up. And that's what surprised me, Jamie. When I went to the um, when I went to the Supreme Court, and I slid the overlays over the tire impressions, and they didn't match up, I thought, surely I'm not the first one to um, to to be concerned with this, surely the, someone in the jury realised that they don't match or the defence counsel s- suggested they don't match or someone, why Why was I the first one to, to say this overlay does not match up with the tyre impression? I couldn't believe it. So
0: you might have been the first person to either notice it or question it's it. The, it appears I was the first person
2: to question it, perhaps not the first person to notice it. Also at the crime scene there were shoe impressions found, three in fact. One was identified as belonging to the one of the police motorcyclists. Graham Stafford owned two pairs of shoes at that time, and neither impression at the scene matched uh, either of his shoes. Okay. That, but that evidence never saw the light of day at the trial. So they didn't discuss the shoes at the trial at all. No, because they didn't match. Why would they? what they did say was that all the shoes in the house initially tested positive for blood which was another fact heard by the jury and as we talked about earlier all these tests uh, came back negative when uh, when taken to the uh, laboratory but if you stop and think about it the occupants of the house must have worn every pair of shoes in the house between monday and wednesday for that test to be accurate yeah which is just which is just ridiculous Other items found at the scene included a cigarette lighter with a business name on it and cigarette butts. Uh, What inquiries were made about that cigarette lighter, we don't know because there's no evidence in the job log that inquiries were ever made in relation to it. The cigarette butts were photographed but not collected and DNA was available in around 1991, so I don't know. But Graham Stafford didn't smoke and apparently never smoked. And as, as we know, as we've heard, uh, there was an undercover police officer in his cell at Ipswich who continually offered him cigarettes, uh, which he declined. On Leanne's body, there were four burn marks consistent with cigarette burns. If Graham Stafford killed her, he must have gone and found cigarettes, a cigarette lighter, smoked them, or at least lit them, and then burnt her with them. Supposedly, this all occurred in the 45 minutes that he had available. do so. But in a later chapter, we'll hear about a suspect who used to inflict cigarette burns on his daughters. The next issue for discussion is relation to Graham Stafford's hammer. And there are two issues with this. One, that he disposed of potentially the murder weapon. And two, he was telling lies, denying that he had disposed of it.
1: For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
2: On the Wednesday morning when detectives uh, first attended the Holland House, they reported there was no evidence of any offence occurring there. When forensic officers arrived, uh, amongst other things, they seized his mallet, which uh, a field test showed uh, blood was present on and he was questioned about it and couldn't explain how blood would be on his hammer. You will recall this evidence went to the jury unchallenged. Subsequently, that hammer went missing after it had been taken possession of by police, but it became a major issue at
0: the trial. Yeah, and also, Graham. subsequent laboratory tests returned no blood, eh? It was only the initial test they first did that showed blood. That's correct. This is an exchange between the prosecutor and Graham Stafford in the witness box. Uh, Graham Stafford is using his voice. I called him to record his part, his answers, but I've used an actor to read the part of the police prosecutor.
4: Where is it now? I assume the police have got it. The police haven't got it. Can you offer an explanation as to where it might be? Well, I haven't got it. You can't offer any explanation as to where it is now other than the police must have taken it. That's correct.
2: I, I won't speculate as to what impact that exchange had on the jury, but did they suspect Graham Stafford had disposed of his hammer, the one covered in blood, and the child murdered with a hammer like instrument? What other valid explanation could there be for a missing hammer and then lying under oath about it? Yeah, it would have had a massive impact, and it would have for me. Oh, absolutely. Very damning evidence. Uh, another interesting uh, aspect of the Crown case. Concerned the injury to Graham Stafford's uh, elbow and the damage to his car. And uh, this was evidence of him creating an alibi and again telling lies. Um, the Crown made, made a big issue of Graham Stafford's injury to his elbow. And by the way, we wouldn't be having this conversation if the police had taken one photograph of the lack of damage to Graham Stafford's car, which I'll talk about in a minute. But because no photographs were taken, and I can't believe that no photographs were taken, um, here we are. So they made a big issue of Graham Stafford uh, injuring his elbow. They claimed it happened in a struggle with the deceased and he lied about going to the doctor on the Monday instead of the Tuesday to an invent an alibi for himself. However, there are inherent problems with that claim. The injury was not obvious. Graham Stafford had to point it out to people, including the police, Detectives confirmed that they physically inspected Graham Stafford and the injury was not the least visible. So do you seriously point out a non-obvious injury that occurred during a murder? And as for being creating an alibi, we heard in the previous chapter all the things he did on the Monday. He did not need to invent an alibi to cover his tracks. Uh, he claims telling the police he went to the doctor on the Monday and not the Tuesday was a genuine mistake. This argument is nonsensical and the obvious errors with this theory are as follows. If Graeme Stafford was trying to manufacture an alibi for the Monday, why did he not tell them when he gave a statement about his visit to the Redbank Plains shopping centre at 2pm, the visit to Franklin's at 2.18pm and the visit to the car wash at 3pm? 3, Three perfect opportunities to generate an alibi for himself. But he didn't mention them in the police statement because he felt they weren't Relevant or, or needed, but by mistakenly saying he went to the doctor on a Monday afternoon, he's apparently creating an alibi for himself. To support their claims that he was lying about the elbow injury, police had a mechanic examine the underside of Graham Stafford's car uh, and found they found no evidence of marks to the chassis consistent with a jack slipping off its support. And as I said, they did not take photographs or video of the underside of the car to support the claim. There was no damage to it. If anyone is not sure how this came about, Graham Stafford said that when he was changing a shock absorber on his car on the Monday, it's, the car slipped off the jack and injured his arm and, and caused some swelling. That's That's how this all came about. The Stafford family were in the rear of the court that day when they as they were every day, and this was the first they had heard of the damage to Graham Stafford's car, which they had stored at their home. After the court, they drove home and inspected the car and found what they believed to be damage consistent with being caused by Jack. They immediately called over their next-door neighbour, who also saw the damage, and they told the Defence counsel next morning of their find, but the matter did not go anywhere. Two years later, when I inspected the car, I too saw damage consistent with being caused by a jack. Either the family concocted
0: this damage or the police missed it somehow. And I did ask Jean Stafford, who is Graham's mother, about that um, damage she saw and the neighbour saw, and here's what she told me.
5: Yeah, well, I can tell you a good story about that one. When we took the car home, we put it in the garage, covered it up, and Never went near it again. It sounds silly, but it was it was an awful feeling looking at that car, knowing that it's Graham, knowing that what they were saying about it. and So we just left it there. I can't remember how long we had it before the trial, but it had all cobwebs all over it by the time we looked at it. And When we went to the trial that day and they said about the jack, Fall in, and there was no damage to the car, you couldn't see. We went home. My next door neighbor came around every day to see what had happened, and as we got home, she came around. We hadn't even got in the house. So I asked her in, told her about what the, ju- what the police had said about the car, and I said, We're going to have a look at it now. Do you want to come and, and see? So she said, Yes. And she, and she can tell you this herself. So we got a torch, went in the garage, looked underneath the car and you could see all the scratches where it had fallen off the jack. At the time we thought, oh this is really good evidence so we'll tell the barrister but like I said, the barrister didn't want to know anything we had to say anyway. But anyway, uh, the, the damage was there, you could see it, it was long scratches. I think Crowley took photographs of it later.
2: When I was asked to Investigate uh, this matter on behalf of uh, the Stafford family, Jamie. I was surprised and disturbed about the circumstances yeah. under which the body was located. Two police only were dispatched on trial bikes and subsequently located the body in a very short space of time. Were they given a specific area out of many square kilometres to search? There's, there are six suburbs surrounding Goodna, and Redbank Plains is not one of them. To reach the area the body was located in, one has to travel through Goodner, Bellbird Park and Redbank Plains. And why were they even searching bushland? This was supposedly a missing person, but as we've uh, heard, it quickly escalated into a murder investigation. This query, along with many others, were passed to the Queensland Police for the purposes of their secret review. We do not know if this aspect was even looked at. Uh, around 2015, I was able to trace and speak on the telephone with one of the police motorcyclists involved in that search. I asked him if they were given specific areas or suburbs to search. He made it very clear to me that they were not given any specific areas to search. At the trial, he gave the following evidence. I was assigned a trial bike patrol at the Red Bank Plains area to search for a missing female. In the course of searching through the bush tracks, which we were assigned to do, we travelled north to Red Bank Plains on some dirt tracks there. So it's never been explained to my knowledge why the searches were directed to Red Bank Plains instead of perhaps one of the six suburbs surrounding Goodna. Is this an instance of outstanding work by the Queensland Police? Or did someone in the Queensland Police know the area in which to search
0: to look for the body? That reminds me, we got a, uh, a review on Apple Podcasts about someone saying that we appeared to be having a go at the police for you know, finding the body so quickly and doing great police work, which is not the case. We uh, are admiring, if it was that and it was just a fluke, then that's fantastic work. They jumped in and found Leanne so soon and they acted quickly on the missing person, which is, which is brilliant. What you're actually saying is you think maybe somebody provided information to search that area quickly and that jumped from a missing person to a homicide that's
2: exactly what I'm saying Jamie the fact that on the first morning of the investigation it it escalated into a, a murder investigation a homicide and then within a very short space of time despite there being a huge area, around the western suburbs there, a very huge area to search in a very short space of time they find the body. I'm just curious, well actually I'm more, I'm suspicious. I I personally think they were told where to look.
0: That police motorcyclist who found Leanne, I did get in contact with him to offer the chance to come on the podcast and discuss the matter, however he declined.
2: If you just go back to when the forensic police first went to the house on the Wednesday morning. And I think this is significant. I think it, it's it's really compelling. though the forensics were obviously told to grab Graham Stafford's clothing for whatever reason. and you know that's another story. But they were told to look for the clothing that he was wearing on the Monday. And the forensic officer noted that he did find the clothing and there was no blood on them and that's what he wrote in his notebook, no blood exclamation mark, exclamation mark. So it seemed to me that he was told, find the find the clothing because you'll find blood. And he found the clothing and there was no blood,
0: exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And this was before it was a homicide. This was a missing person. Exactly. So it's. I just want to stress it's not the case of us slamming the police investigation because they acted quick. It's not that at all. We're both ex-police and we have respect for them. This is the fact that it seems like they were tipped off about this.
2: That's that's the way it looks to me. And just on that on that Wednesday morning, Graham Stafford's car was searched uh, and seized. There were, at no point was there ever any suggestion there was a smell in that car of a dead body. Now, supposedly, he'd killed this girl on the Monday, probably before midday. By the time they searched that car on the Wednesday. That body had been, on their scenario, it had been in the boot of his car some 48 hours. He'd only just dumped it that morning. From my experience when I was in the police and dealing with dead bodies, if there had been a car with a body in it for up to 48 hours in temperatures of around 28 degrees outside, which means 40 plus inside, there would have been a smell of decomposing flesh. Definitely yet there was no comment made about it. And even on the Tuesday afternoon, some 36 hours after the death, Graham Stafford, Melissa Holland and Terry Holland were all in his car and Leanne was allegedly in the boot. And I think even then there would have been a smell that someone, one of them would have said, what is that smell?
0: And just to clarify, you're talking 28 degrees Celsius outside... And 40 Correct. degrees Celsius inside, just for those people who don't uh, – in countries who don't use Celsius.
2: True. Correct.
0: I was actually contacted on, via email by someone who claimed to be a nurse, and that was something that stood out to them. They, In their experience dealing with dead bodies and such, yeah, there would definitely be a smell in the, in the boot or in the car in general. Well,
2: and you've got to remember that the police officer who searched the car on the Wednesday was a forensics police officer. He was used to crime scenes. He was used to to dead bodies. And he made no comment at all about any smell being associated with that car.
3: Was
0: there any evidence that didn't fit Graham Stafford as the killer?
2: Jamie, what I found was that There was evidence that uh, didn't fit him and it was excluded. It never saw the light of day. Okay. After his arrest, the majority of the unfinished job logs, and, you know, bear in mind that all week information was pouring in from the public and it was the subject of job logs. After his arrest, uh, the job logs were noted. No further action required as offender has been arrested. Well, there could have been information and evidence in those job logs that either confirmed Stafford as a killer or exonerated him, but we'll never know because the job logs were never were never um, followed up. We've talked about several instances where evidence that did not fit Graeme Stafford was excluded from the investigation. A example, the bank teller. The sighting of Leanne Holland on the Tuesday morning are clearly instances where it didn't suit the the police case. So that information was just uh, swept aside. There was a disturbing aspect also. There was a pornographic video found in Leanne Holland's room. Okay. Um nothing was ever said about it. And you know, I thought this was crucial. W- what would a young girl be doing with that? Who who put it there? Where did it come from? Why was it there? At the trial, Terry Holland put his hand up and said, "It's mine." And he offered to explain why it was in his room, but neither the crown nor the defence uh, wanted to hear it. Like it's just bizarre. So this is in Leanne Holland's bedroom. In her bedroom, there was there was a porno movie found. Why wouldn't they follow that up? And basically, if it didn't fit Graham Stafford, they weren't interested. That's that's my take on it. At post-mortem, Leanne Holland's blood alcohol content was 0.048%, just under the legal limit to drive. This is a 12-year-old girl. Yeah. The pathologist said that it could have been from decomposition. Well, that's true. It, it could have been, but it, it could also have been from consuming alcohol or part decomposition or part alcohol consumption. I couldn't find evidence where that was ever pursued. That's quite a high amount. I thought it was a, a high reading. Mm. And I personally didn't think it was from decomposition totally, but I'm not a medical person. You know, talking about other evidence, this this evidence of Graeme Stafford carrying Leanne Houghton's body down the front steps of the house, in in my view, is just nonsense. They were both the same height. He was about 52 Uh, kilos. She was about 42 kilos. So he's essentially, on the Crown case, carrying almost his own body weight down the front stairs. I, I just don't see that it's possible. You've got a 42-kilo body with arms and legs going everywhere, the head lolling back, and blood everywhere. Remember, she's been brutally bashed. I just don't see that it can happen. Without him getting blood on himself, without getting blood on his clothing, on his shoes, significant blood on the house, significant blood in the yard, significant blood in the car. Uh, I just don't see it possible.
0: You would expect to find some blood on clothing carrying um, a person down the stairs who had been bashed to death. And also, it's a busy road. It's a very busy road. I've been there. You've been there. It's also in front of a hotel, a pub, where people sit and drink. That's right. I, I just think the, the suggestion that he did
2: that is just bizarre. And, you know, in the afternoon he was wearing the same clothes as he was wearing in the morning. So what did he do? Did he take them off, put some other clothes on, killer, her, uh, dispose of
0: the body, then take those clothes off and put his other clothes back on? It was just, just bizarre. And so there was claims that he used garbage bags to stop the flow of blood. Where did that come from? There was a garbage bag found under Leanne's body and the, the police allege that
2: uh, he used garbage bags to um, stop the, the blood Um going everywhere, but, you know, garbage bags hold, they can hold about two two house bricks. So carrying a body with them is, mm. is um, to my mind, um, not practical. But I guess does it mean that he had an accomplice or was he an accomplice? Yeah. And was someone else there to help him carry the, the body down the stairs? Um, and if you remember, the woman who supposedly saw his car at the dump site said that the red uh, car going into the bush was being followed in there by an old white ambulance. I could never find any evidence where the police pursued that line of inquiry. It seems they were happy to accept her evidence that the red car going up the dirt road was Graham Stafford's, but they were not happy to accept that there was an ambulance following it. Was that clarified in the police reviews? Who knows? A group of scientists who were involved in the police review collectively concluded that there was more than one offender involved. I think that's inconvenient for the police because who was his co-offender? Where did he know him from? Did he drive an ambulance? Did Graham Stafford know anyone who drove an ambulance? What I was able to determine was that there was an old white ambulance that used to frequent the Goodna Caravan Park where Tricia Lynch lived, where Sean McFedron lived and where Leanne Holland used to visit. Yeah. At the press conference in 2012, this is what an inspector had to say about it, um, whether he was asleep at the briefing or... He didn't accept what the scientists said. This was his uh, take on it. He's provided. There was not a scintilla of evidence that identifies any other person involved in this investigation. As we've said before, some 22 days after the murder of Leanne Holland, there was another 12-year-old girl murdered in Gunna.
0: And we'll discuss that uh, aspect in a later chapter. She was drowned in the creek right near uh, the Goodner Caravan Park where you said you later made inquiries to, to reveal that uh, an old white ambulance used to frequent that caravan park.
2: That's right, yep. One of the issues of this case, uh, Jamie, that we've spoken about a few times, which to my mind is central to the whole murder, and that is motive. Why does someone do something? Well, why does someone not do something? It's, that is the motive of why they do it. Well, what is the motive for doing something? It's the, the core of an investigation. As you know, no motive was presented in Graham Stafford's trial, although later it was suggested that it was a machicistic sexual attack. I've always been concerned that Graham Stafford had no evident or apparent motive for this murder, no criminal history, as you know, no history of psychotic or any social behaviour. Leanne was not raped. The markings on her body together with the burn marks would would have taken some time to inflict. The bizarre hole fashioned in her body near her anus, what was that about? Um, It was almost as if the killer had played with her. And it was someone said to me that that they felt the killer was playing with her both before and after death. Uh, And on the Crown case, he could do all this in about 45 minutes. But as we've shown, he had a very limited window of opportunity to commit this murder on the Monday. I, I had real trouble seeing that he had enough time to commit the murder, inflict the injuries, dispose of the body, and you know, clean up the crime scene, visit all the places he had people he had, field the phone calls, and and be composed. Of, like, is he a psycho? We we devote an entire chapter to profiling. We'll discuss motive. Uh, Later time. And that brings us to the new evidence, Jamie. This evidence has not seen the light of day until now. Green is the new black. Yeah, what is the green is the new black? What is it all about? The simplest way to put it is this. Is this just another messy small ticket mistake by the Queensland police or is it a big ticket whopper like the maggot? We'll, We'll have to see. It all started when I watched the police body dump site video a few weeks ago for the first time in like 25 years. And just to explain, there was a a plastic garbage bag was found under Leanne Holland's body at the dump site. And later, plastic garbage bags were found in a drawer in the kitchen of the Holland house. And it was a crown case that Graham Stafford had probably used garbage bags to put Leanne's body in and catch the blood oozing from the body. For there to be a connection between the two garbage bags and to implicate Graham Stafford, the bags had to be identical, right? Yeah. For instance... At the very least, the same colour. Definitely. In the 1990s, plastic garbage bags came in two colours, green and black. And I examined both plastic garbage bags in the Supreme Court registry in 1992, Exhibit 69 and Exhibit 79. And I described the bag found under the body as being in pristine condition, as new in fact, which was troublesome. How is it that a bag that's been in the elements underneath a dead body looked like new? And as expected, the plastic garbage bag from the house was also new. My very firm recollection is that both those plastic bags were black. I still have my notes from 1992, and whilst I made notes of their as new condition, I did not record the colour, which which is frustrating, but yep. there it is. But to this day, I have always thought they were both black, but they would have been the same colour, right, whether it was green or black. It'd...
0: Yeah, you'd expect so.
2: To be able to say that they implicate Graham Stafford as a killer, they would have to be the same colour. You couldn't have a green one and a black one. It'd be nonsensical to somehow suggest that they implicate implicating. And if those exhibits in the Supreme Court registry had been green and black, I would have been all over it, but I wasn't, so therefore they, they were the same colour, but were they black or were they green? Then a few weeks ago, I watched the police crime scene video of the dump site And at one point, the pathologist picks up the plastic bag that had been under the body. And I would describe it as badly soiled and anything but pristine. And I would say that it was in the condition expected after being under a body for some time. So, how the bag went from soiled to pristine still mystifies me. And it was green, it was green in colour. And my first thought upon seeing the bag was green was that's not possible, they were black. So I trawled through the evidence to determine the colour of the bags. The police officer who found Leanne's body recorded that the garbage bag under the body was green. The forensic officer who introduced the garbage bag into evidence at trial stated it was black and I could not find any evidence anywhere relating to the colour of the garbage bags taken from the house. Right. I recently contacted the Brisbane Supreme Court who searched their records and whilst there are still some exhibits in their possession, the garbage bags are not included. I contacted Queensland Police to ask what exhibits they have in their possession. They declined to comment. So, these are my questions. How does a soil garbage bag become pristine? And what colour were the garbage bags found and taken from the Holland House? Were they green or were they black? And why would the garbage bag from the body be variously described as green and black? And why would my first thought upon seeing the green bag in the police video of the dump site be... That is not possible. They were black. There there would be police photographs in existence, but they are usually black and white in colour. There may be coloured photographs in existence. We shall have to see if we can obtain them under freedom of information legislation. But, Jamie, I'm going to be blunt. Were both garbage bags the same colour and one new and one soiled and bloody, or was one swapped out at some point? Are we looking at
0: another messy little mistake by Queensland Police or another whopper? So, Graham, this begs the question, was there any police evidence that you didn't find problems with? Yes, Jamie, there was, as a matter of fact, and it was significant evidence for the Crown. There were drops
2: of Leanne's blood found on items in the boot of Graham Stafford's car. Her blood was found on Graham Stafford's tool bag, on a blanket owned by me, uh, Melissa Holland, and on a Chuck's... Cloth, whose ownership was never confirmed, but obviously Graham Stafford was seen as the owner. And this was significant evidence. Some would say that alone may be enough for a guilty verdict, even though the volume of blood was extremely minimal.
0: But whilst I didn't find problems with it, others did. This is what Professor Angela Van Dal from Bond University said. This is not her real voice.
3: I gave evidence at Graham Stafford's trial that the DNA from the blood was the same as that of Leanne Holland. Looking at the blood evidence now, the presence of Leanne Holland's blood in the boot of the car I don't think is compelling because of the amount of blood. There is probably less than a drop of blood and that's not consistent with someone who was bludgeoned about the head and placed in the boot of that car for several days.
2: It's well known and has been stated in evidence that Leanne Holland did cut her foot some weeks before her murder and bled down the front steps of the house to show her father.
3: This source of blood is just as legitimate an explanation, and in fact, of course, there are many explanations for how her blood could have been on a number of items in an environment where she lived. In all my years as a forensic scientist, this is the first case I've been involved in where I believe that the person was wrongly convicted of the crime. The forensic science evidence, and there is other evidence beyond the DNA evidence, which I believe does not support Graham Stafford's conviction for this crime, and I'm prepared to say that. I very strongly believe that this case has been a miscarriage of justice.
2: So, Jamie, by my calculations, if all the problems with the evidence had been known by the defence counsel at the time of the trial, the only uncontested evidence would have been that one matter. I just wish the Queensland Police was aware of this information and evidence at the time of the investigation, or although perhaps they should have been. I, in fact, I can't see why they should not have been. I attempted to find contact details for ex-Commissioner of Police Atkinson and Stewart, and invite them to discuss the case. When I couldn't find uh, contact details for them, I sent an email addressed to both care of the Queensland Police and asked if they would forward them on, but they refused. If either Atkinson or Stewart are listening, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Get in touch. So I want to be very clear about this, Jamie. The very significant and damning scientific evidence implicating Graham Stafford in this murder centred around the blood in the house, making it the murder site, the matching ties at the body disposal site, the maggot in the boot, and the small amount of blood on three items in the boot of his car. In all instances, the same forensic officer was involved. A forensic officer with a science degree, but no stated experience in entomology, and no stated experience in tyre tread patterns. His experience in collecting blood samples from crime scenes is not known and was not stated at trial. Subsequent evidence has shown the house was clearly not the murder scene, and the body never stored in Graham Stafford's car. Subsequent evidence has raised significant concerns about the matching tyre evidence at the body disposal site. And subsequent evidence has raised significant concerns about the maggot in the boot. That eliminates items one, two and three and leaves item four. Is it possible the evidence regarding the blood on the items in the boot is also inaccurate? If nothing else is relevant, surely these matters warrant an inquiry by an independent body such as a coroner. And if you accept the problems with the three out of four issues, what evidence implicates Graham Stafford in this murder? Apart from a small amount of blood on three items in the boot of his car, very little. The evidence of the sightings of his car at the dump site are seriously questioned, if not outright incorrect. And the body was never in the boot of the car, so he had no need to go to the dump site anyway. And you have to ask yourself this question. If the body was never in the boot of the car, how did the maggot get there? And how did the drops of blood get there? How did this police investigation go so wrong? And what happened to cause Graham Stafford to be targeted as the offender from the opening moments in the investigation? What caused the majority of the so-called evidence against Graham Stafford to be straight out wrong, inaccurate or misleading? Jamie, is this an example of noble cause corruption or something more sinister? I was leaning towards noble cause except for the involvement of pedophile Pete and we'll discuss his involvement in the police investigation in a future chapter, you have to say, is this the greatest miscarriage of justice Australia has ever seen? We say it's time for a coroner's inquest. And this next comment, Jamie, has never seen in the light of day, only known before now by Queensland Police. In 2010, I was asked by Queensland Police of any matters I wanted to bring to their attention for the upcoming investigation review. I submitted a number of matters for consideration. The following is the one that has never been made public until now. I recommended the Queensland Police offer a police officer, who I named, indemnity from criminal prosecution in return for telling the truth about what happened during the murder investigation of Leanne Holland, including the involvement of pedophile Pete and what caused Graham Stafford to be targeted for the murder. I do not know the outcome of that submission, but can only assume it was ignored.
0: So join us next time for Chapter 8, How Deep Are Your Pockets?, Uh, where we will discuss in depth the legal barriers, hurdles and issues when someone is arrested for murder, from arrest to trial, appeal and continued efforts to obtain the very secret police review. If you have any legal questions you would like to ask Joe Crowley, Please send them in and we will see if we can have them answered for you. And in future chapters, we discuss what the criminal profiles say about Leanne's killer. We also introduce the alternate suspects, men we believe were more likely to have murdered Leanne Holland than Graham Stafford. Who Killed Leanne Holland is a 610 Media production. This episode was written and fact-checked by Graham Crowley. It was recorded, edited and theme song by Jamie Pultz. It was mixed and mastered by Alex Rottier at Paperbark Studios. The music for this episode was entirely produced by Bubba Beats and you can find him on SoundCloud or Instagram or Spotify. Just look for at Bubba Beats. If you like any of the sounds that you hear and you are a podcaster looking to make a true crime podcast, then you can purchase his sounds All the links will be in the show notes. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Who Killed Leanne Holland and also at 610 Media Group. Also head to our websites and you can read our blogs and see pictures at whokilledleanneholland.com and 610mediagroup.com And please, if you're enjoying the show, share us with your friends and don't forget to rate and review us. It does help.